Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 13 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Jason Brown, owner of Box Programming, which is now called Box Programming Training Systems. Jason has got his Master's of Science degree in Exercise Physiology. He is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's a writer for Elite FTS, T Nation. He's done some stuff with the NSCA. He also writes for John Rusin and a couple other big name fitness specialists. And Jason has really done a great job of providing great programming for people looking to get into crossfit or people that own crossfit boxes and gyms but jason is very pro conjugate system which i know is often usually kind of like bash and saying it's not good for things but jason has actually made the system incredibly well adapted to the crossfit athlete and or the average person that's just doing crossfit and we kind of talk about that in very good links and stride about this, about the difference of that programming and, and how that should look if you are a CrossFit box owner and how you can program for that and how they are not one and the same. We also talk about some of his different articles and how he got into this and um, how he's kind of helped build his brand and reputation because if you look on his social media and his website and his articles, Jason has a plethora of information. He's incredibly knowledgeable and everything we talk about, you know, kind of for the most part res- resolves and re- revolves around CrossFit. But at the same time, if you're the average person just training to get more jacked and feel better and, and you know, improve your lifestyle, his training system that he's using within the conjugate system through box programming, I think is something that you definitely want to check out because I think Jason does it very well and better than 99% of the people that are doing online programming or training um, or providing those services for gyms and, and, and groups. So this episode is really great to record. Um, I've always looked up to Jason and his content. Uh, we kind of go back through our days um, because we are with Elite FTS and we kind of talk about how that's kind of helped mold us as well in terms of coaches and um, content creators and things like that. So this episode with Jason's packed full of knowledge. Um, I, I highly suggest you get a pen and piece of paper and, and take down some notes. Get on his website, uh, boxprogramming.com. Find him on Instagram. Reach out to him. You're going to learn stuff from his content. I can guarantee it. So I hope this hour, hour and a half that you get from him is definitely well worth it. And like I said, reach out to him if you got questions. But enjoy the episode number 13 with a man, Jason Brown. Hey, Jason, this is Brandon. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. You hanging in there? We are. Yeah, we're, uh, I think for me, you know, the whole situation hasn't changed too much other than childcare, but a lot of my clients are are really feeling the effects of being shut down. So, uh, you know, it's definitely trying to support them right now is, is our goal. Right. So, um, I appreciate you being on here. Um, for the people that don't know, Jason owns box programming, which does a lot of training and programming for 
CrossFit affiliate gyms and similar like business models. And uh, Jason is definitely at the forefront of this. I think it's kind of came to the limelight that many CrossFit based style gyms are outsourcing programming, so to speak. I think there's a lot of value in that. It's time saving. Um, everybody's kind of on the same page, so to speak. And um, as a as a whole, I think you see better results that way. Um, I really like that about what Jason does. But Jason's also incredibly knowledgeable from an academic standpoint. So he's not just a CrossFit level one guy. He's got his master's degree in CSCS and rights for elite and T nation and all these in incredible resources. So Jason has a lot of skin in the game. Um, so Jason, go ahead and just give a brief rundown of kind of what started box programming. How did you even come up with the, the concept of the idea of what you're doing and then maybe kind of the growth, of the whole business side of Brock's programming has kind of come over the past couple of years. Yeah. So I opened my gym with my wife, which was a CrossFit gym back in 2011 and within a really short period of time, we had a lot of people interested in our programming and coming from the strength and conditioning world and then into CrossFit. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the exposure I had in the strength and conditioning side of things was with conjugate. All of the most success I had with my own training was with conjugate. So, um, you know, I was a big believer in the conjugate method and, and trying to, I would say, sort of marry that to CrossFit was something that I didn't really feel like was possible back then, not having known a lot of things that would play out the way it did later on. But what we saw was a lot of people were really interested in how we were doing things with trying to blend some of the conjugate model with classic CrossFit. Um, so within, man, I would say within two years time, I had some gyms asking me, um, we had some gyms that were actually using our programming off our site. And then I had one gym that asked me to write their programming and this was 2014. And so whatever I started, I took this client on not really knowing how to deliver a product uh, to a client that was in, uh, I think they were in Virginia. So I was using a Google sheet, which I think a lot of us coaches <laughs> were probably at one point or another using some type of spreadsheet to deliver, whether it be to our clients that we're seeing in person or, um, you know, if you're like me and you started off doing online programming very early, we didn't really have any mode of delivering this service. So I, I just had him on his own, uh, private Google spreadsheet and I was writing his workouts. And then from there, the CrossFit community is so small. So word of mouth spread pretty fast. And then I think I had a few more people that reached out to me and I was taking on more and more clients. Um, and I think it was at a point where I had about 10 clients and I realized, all right, this isn't really scalable doing it this way. I have to figure out a better way to deliver uh, this product to them. So that's kind of when my website was born, our, our initial website, which is, um, you can't see now, it's literally a dinosaur at this point in time. <laughs> but we started to really try to scale the business in a way that we could deliver a great product, um, get the important information to our clients so they understood what we were doing, but also... Um, you know, provide that service that people needed at the time, which is basically just saving the time because as gym owners, we wear so many hats. So being able to, to take a major piece of time off your plate was, was huge. Um, and that's kind of how it initially started really just by word of mouth. I didn't do any marketing. I really know, even at this point, don't know a whole lot about marketing other than just writing content, which I know um, you know, that's something that, that you've done. I've read 
I think I read a lot of your initial articles um, early in the early days on Elite FTS. Um, so I know you and I both have that in common where we're like, you know what, I might not know how to do a sponsored ad, but I'm just going to write an article about this and let whoever wants to read it, whoever's interested, read it, you know? Yeah, so that's, um, that's, that's a good point. Uh, we, we try to let that our, um, our clients and athletes know that, you know, the, the content is there for free and it, it, it's great if it gets us some advertising, but if it, if it doesn't pan out, if it educates our client or athlete more, then there's more buy-in and then that's, you know, more long-term investment that you get from that, that client or athlete and that, that pays for itself then and there. But also as, as I'm sure you know, too, that when you write something, you tend to absorb and learn it better than if you just read it and sure. then you, then you go to implement it more and then you get to, to think about it. So that's, um, that's very interesting that you bring that up because I, I read your stuff too. And, um, you know, that's kind of, from a CrossFit standpoint, being that we're not a CrossFit gym, there's still mm -hmm. many things that we can take away and apply with, um, you know, our personal training clients and whatever, because we are a semi-private gym, you know, everybody is not, um, it's not one-on-one, -on -one. it's just not mm -hmm. feasible for our square foot space. And even for our socioeconomic area, just the mm -hmm. amount we have to charge based upon what the average person makes, you know, you're starting to target, to target the 5% of the population. Well, that's not a very good business model sure. yeah. to target the top 5% um, in, in an industry that we're at, so to speak. Um, so that's really good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's really how we, we were able to build a business just writing free content. Um, a lot of people started reading, Hey, you know, how, how are you pairing conjugate with CrossFit? How does that work? What does it look like? How is it delivered? What do you tell your clients? Um, and then really kind of the more and more people I worked with, I started writing articles for questions I had. So, Hey, why are we doing band work? Um, why are we doing so many banded pushdowns and banded pull-aparts? Why are we doing loaded carries? So basically every question I had, I wrote an article for. Um, and then, you know, over time, I'm sure you see that, you know, a lot of this stuff kind of gets refined. It's like programming. Like programming I wrote back then is garbage now. I mean, programming is evolving all the time. So a lot of the information is evolving and how, how we see it plays out with our clients and with, you know, really thousands of people all over the globe. So a lot of that stuff by this point has been really refined, which is, which is cool to see. Um, you know, so from there, it kind of just, it started to take off and, and word of mouth started to spread in the CrossFit community. And fast forward to 2016, I realized, I think I had a hundred clients and I said to my wife, you know, I wasn't expecting for this to happen, um, this way. And I always love programming. I, my wife used to always joke and say, too bad you can't get paid to write programming because you like doing it so much. Um, and interestingly enough, that's what I ended up doing. But uh, we got to the point where we had 100 clients and I just couldn't devote time to owning a gym as well as providing a service to people that own gyms. So I told my wife, I'm like, you know, I'm going to work on kind of removing myself from the gym by first of the year. And she really didn't want to run the gym without me. So we just kind of made a mutual agreement to sell the gym. And within two weeks we sold our gym, which we had a 200 plus member gym, um, you know, that was open for almost six years and, you know, things were, were going great with our business. Um, I just saw an opportunity to focus on something that I really loved and things, the stars just aligned and, and things happened. And once we sold the gym, it was like night and day. I mean, the business was, I was really able to write more content. I started writing content with elite FTS um, which, which opened up a whole, really a whole different audience. Um, 
and, and then that's where really things started to take off when I could put all of my effort into it. Yeah. Um, so going into the, the actual kind of programming side of things, I guess, let's, let's first talk about, um, like you say, since you owned a gym and you, and it was CrossFit based, and I'm, I'm sure that you were, like you said, you were doing your own programming. Um, what, what do you see are the biggest limitations in the CrossFit space from a programming standpoint? Say that, um, you know, a new, a new client hits your email and they're looking to, you know, hire you to do their programming for their, their box or gym. What do you see are the biggest limitations that they have that they're either are currently implementing or what they think is right? And then um, how you explain what you're going to do with your kind of system and your underlying reasons why. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a tough battle because there's a psychology behind trying to, it's almost like trying to change someone's political views. It's very hard to do. Um, so I'm telling, I'm essentially telling people that we have to look at this differently. We have to look at it through the lens of what are our clients number one goals. And you know, anyone that comes in, anyone that comes into your facility or, or really any gym for that matter, usually, you know, people that are just like general population want to lose weight. They want to feel better. They want more energy levels. They want to be able to, um, you know, do things outside of the gym and CrossFit gyms really aren't focusing on that. A lot of the coaches are focusing on getting better at CrossFit, which, you know, may or may not be the best way to get someone closer to their individual goals of just looking better. Um, so really there is a, there is a mismatch of, Hey, I'm going to program all of this high skill gymnastics and Olympic lifting for someone that a has no business doing that stuff. And B, it doesn't even support their goals. So that's kind of the tough thing to present to someone. So you have to do it almost with, with, you know, a, a mindset of we're going to do these things that might be a little bit different. You have to be open-minded, but we're also going to sprinkle in some of the cool stuff too. We're not going to just remove it totally because that would be, you know, that wouldn't be really advantageous to the whole model. And it would really kind of take away from us being a CrossFit, you know, a CrossFit box programming provider to people. If we just said, all right, we're going to completely strip CrossFit out of this, then I wouldn't be box programming. I'd be, you know, something else. So, um, it's really about finding that balance. And for some, that transition is very hard for not necessarily for them. A lot of the people I talk to, the owners agree with me, but it's, it's hard for them to convey that message to their coaches and then their coaches to convey that message to the client. So if the coach doesn't have, isn't on board and say they really want to compete in CrossFit and they, a lot of them project their goals onto their clients they're going to not put the programming in the best light. They're not going to say, they're going to say, oh yeah, we're doing farmer carries today. And you know, rather be doing Olympic lifting or something cooler or sexier, but uh, this is what we're doing today. And uh, yeah. So anytime that that's the message that's delivered, the client is like, Hey, why aren't you doing this stuff? If they're not training this way, it's really tough for the clients to buy into that. So that's kind of the biggest hurdle is really changing that mindset of one, you have to do high skill workouts all the time. And then two, you know, really the bigger piece of this is the stress response, you know, putting people in a stressful situation every single time they step foot in the gym, it's just the body doesn't work like that. And I think a lot of coaches that just have an L1 that don't understand basic physiology, don't understand that you can't just keep stressing your clients out that are 
already stressed out from their lives outside of the gym. And now we're going to stress them out further on a daily basis. It just doesn't work that way. You know? Yeah. yeah we, I, I think as a, as a current gym owner that does not provide a CrossFit service, one of the questions that we get either from parents for kids or prospective clients that come in inquiring, or they send an email asking questions to know you like, what, what is the difference between, um, you know, this and CrossFit? Why, what is, what's the main difference that we're going to see? And then that's kind of like what I touched, you kind of touched on what I basically try to convey is that there's a lot of skill aspects into CrossFit that you probably don't need based upon what you're telling me you want to do. Like say you want to lose weight and you want to feel mm-hmm. better and sleep better and, and have fun with your kids and maybe hang cleans for time. And, you know, gymnastics isn't necessarily the best route to get you there, especially if you've not exercised in three, four, 10 years. Like yeah. I, I think there's a better <laughs> introduction way to get you into physical activity that's not only safer but build better movement patterns to give you the ability to potentially do something you know if you get into this a little bit more and you know six nine months down the road and you're like i mean i'd like to try weightlifting or powerlifting or you know maybe try a competitive crossfit then then okay sure. that's understandable but i think initially if you get that bug that's, that's a great thing i absolutely love that if you get that kind of competitive bug or you into the, the gym a little more but the the under trying to get people to convey the idea that also that you do not have to be totally drenched and destroyed to walk out of my gym and see progress you just have to be if you if you walk out of my gym feeling destroyed not only was it too much but i want you to feel better when you leave than when you came in so that mm-hmm. the next time you come in you think all right i'm i'm not feeling that greatest today but i'm going to get my workout and you know you're probably going to walk out feeling better and that's part of our goal is lifestyle changes for vast majority of the people that we see. And then we also have to think of a time perspective too, is like, you know, if you're paying for, you know, semi-private personal training, imagine how much time it's going to take to teach you how to properly do a hang clean. You know, Mm, weightlifters work on this for, you know, four to six days a week for an hour to hour and a half at a time. And they're still not the greatest at it. You know, the ones that are the greatest at it are the ones that are actually at the Olympic platform or Pan Ams and, and things like that. So can we, can we find a way to give you that sense of feeling that you're doing something athletically and challenging that's also safe and a far shorter learning curve? So it, exactly. I mean, you have these people for such a limited time frame on a weekly basis. And then, you know, in a group setting, it's not like me working with someone individually. I don't know when someone's coming in. They might come in Tuesday, Wednesday, one week, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, another week, and then some variant of that the week after. So you don't, there's so many things that you just don't have at your disposal like you would in an individual setting. So it makes it really tough to say, well, where do we put, how do we place things in our programming so everyone's getting what they need? And, you know, if you are going to do an Olympic lifting cycle, which in my opinion is dumb, I would, we don't program that kind of stuff. And for a number of reasons that we can, we can talk about. But if you are going to do that stuff, well, what if the people that want to do it don't come that day, you know? So it's just like kind of a tough thing where you're like, well, Hey, we're doing a, um, you know, a power development cycle to work on our hang clean or whatever the case may be. And, you know, Joe Schmo doesn't show up that day because he's got a commitment outside of the gym. I mean, it's doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you're doing that. Now, if someone came to you individually and said, Hey, Brandon, I want to 
work on competing in Olympic lifting. And these are the days I have to train with you. It's a totally different scenario, yes. right? I mean, you yes. guys, you know, when they're coming in, you, you have probably worked with them already and know how they move. So there's a lot of things that you can work with in that scenario versus group setting. You don't have all that information. Right. And I think you kind of just did a good job of segueing into what I wanted to talk to you as well was the movement aspect, not knowing how they move. The, the average person, um, let's say from, from your, from your programming and what you see with the boxes that you help, what from a movement quality standpoint is generally lacking in the average person that's going to a CrossFit gym. They don't necessarily have to be a competitive CrossFitter, just the average person yep. that's walking into, like we said, you know, lose weight, feel better. It's, it's something that they can kind of relate with. What do they need to, to address first and foremost? Hip hinge. 100%. Um, you know, hip hinge is the forgotten movement pattern. Most people, they have this like preconceived notion of what it may be. It's like the squat. Everyone, if you said to anyone, can you squat? They would probably do something similar to whatever, sitting in a chair or sitting on the toilet. Um, but the hip hinge is almost like people don't really know what that means to articulate their hips and lumbopelvic rhythm and maintaining a neutral spine. So that's really the movement pattern that's kind of just thrown by the wayside. And, you know, coincidentally, people have, I mean, a staggering amount of people have lower back disorders. Why is that? Is it just a coincidence that we, you know, 84% of the population has lower back issues? No, people have underdeveloped posterior chain and they don't know how to use their, their hamstrings, their gluteals when they're doing any type of hinging movement or they're picking something up off the floor. Um, so, you know, anytime I've worked with new people, especially, you know, in the CrossFit setting, you tend to get a lot of endurance people that are, are drawn to CrossFit. They have no awareness of using their hips at all. It doesn't even work. Um, so we spent a lot of time just teaching them how to hip hinge, you know, teaching them how to do an elevated deadlift or, or even like a goblet box squat where they have a tactile cue and they have to push their hips back to the box. Um, and for some, this is like, I mean, you know, you see it, it's just like completely posterior pelvic tilt. Their, their ass just doesn't work at all. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Um, you know, it's a way I used to have a funny, uh, saying that I would use. And it was like, if you had two grocery bags in your hands and you had to close the car door without using your foot and you had to use your butt, what would that look like? And people know like, Oh, I'll stick my butt back. And then that's kind of where the conversation starts. And then we can kind of build on that, you yeah. know? Yeah. We, I, I would agree that that's whenever we do, um, do our screening assessment process, especially since we work with such a high number of kids. Um, it's, it's amazing that you could probably, if you looked at the way they move and the way they hinge and then compare their accolades athletically, the kids that are hinging well are the better athletes. Mm. The kids that are not hinging very well are generally the inferior athlete, so to speak. It's not always, but in most cases, um, that's, that's what we find. Um, and then at the same thing, um, as well, you talked about the glutes and the hamstrings, the, the number one issue that we see that we have to bring up on most of these kids, again, is their glutes and their hamstrings. They, mm. they, if they do a squat pattern, they're going to, you know, be very knee dominant, heavy knees coming over sure. the toes. They don't understand how to, like you said, dissociate their, their hips from any other part of their body. And then they wonder why, you know, they can't get faster. You know, they're doing mm. these jumping and, and speed and agility courses and camps and, and parents come to me and say, I don't, I don't understand why they're not getting faster. And I'm like, well, if you, if you've got this weak chain in the, in the system, 
you're just building more bad movement patterns with that weak chain. So mm. if we can bring these glutes and hamstrings up, teach your kid how to laterally lunge and split squat and goblet box squat and hinge appropriately, when they actually have to go to plant and change direction, guess what muscles they're going to use? Their glutes and their hamstrings and right. not their, their knee and their calves to be able to create power because, you know, either your knees are going to get tore up or your calves can only do produce so much power where your glutes and hamstrings are really strong. And even from a personal training perspective, we have like a, like I'm sure many gyms do, we have certain hinge progressions that we stick with. And, and in mo most cases than not, everyone's on tier one. Mm -hmm. You got to learn how to use, use the dowel rod a little bit. We're also mm -hmm. going to use some band pull throughs to accentuate that. We're going to use glute bridges. So you understand what it's like to actually feel your butt squeeze. Mm -hmm. And then once you kind of put all that together, it kind of goes. And when you were talking about coaching cues too, and something my wife brought up the other maybe about a month ago or so before we closed down um, that she was talking to a kid and he's having a hard time just getting it. Like he just, we tried everything and he just wasn't getting it. And she's like, have you ever, you ever moon somebody? And the kid's like, yeah. And she's like, think about how you moon somebody, you push your <laughs> hips back, you pull your pants down and your knees slightly unlocked and, and everything's <laughs> neutral. And sure enough, that kid freaking got it. Oh, I love that. Um, That's a great that, one. We've been yeah. using that a lot with the kids because they kind of resonate with that a little bit more. So um, that is so funny. Yeah, that's like, I mean, for kids, that's definitely a great one uh, to use. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I like that. Yeah. So tell me um, a little bit more in terms of issues that you're seeing with um, your, the average person, I guess we, we've kind of talked about, you know, doing some different exercises that they're probably not ready for. And then the, the, the posterior chain with um, from a, from a programming side as well, what do you see from an, from an overhead standpoint? I know overhead mobility with the shoulder is yeah. usually pretty, pretty garbage as well. And obviously CrossFit is very overhead heavy, very overhead. whether that's the pull-ups or the, um, you know, the thrusters and the kettlebell swings. What do you kind of see in, in that realm? You know, before I get to that, I wanted to just uh, say a few more things about the posterior chain. Okay, yeah, I yeah. think it's so important. And even in outside of CrossFit, even in the strength and conditioning world, I don't see, it being done enough. And I think, um, Louis said way back when, um, maybe it was on a podcast or it was one of his books about, you know, basically the posterior chain being like your gas pedal and your anterior chain being your brakes. And no one seems to want to work on the gas pedal. You know, you see a lot of development, um, with speed drills. I mean, doing the speed ladder, um, but no one has the gas has the horsepower to, get them moving forward to get them moving laterally and, you know, spending time developing that musculature with, for us, you know, the biggest thing. And even, you know, when I was training athletes would be probably the wide stance box squat or the sumo deadlift, um, pulling the sled. I had a guy call, uh, wanted me to work with his, his, uh, uh, an athletic team. And he asked about how much running we do. And I said, we would do zero running. You know, and, and it just, that was just a, a total like paradigm shift. I probably shouldn't have said that because I didn't get the job. Um, but we wouldn't do any running. And I, for me, I can't, I have to be honest with people and, and just tell them exactly what we plan on doing. And, you know, if running was going to do, you know, Louis said this too, Louis got so many great, great sayings, you know, if running was going to do the job. Why, why don't, why doesn't Ohio state recruit marathon runners, yeah. you know? So running's not doing the job. My running isn't getting them there. It's not making them stronger. We need to develop the musculature that propels people forward and coincidentally keeps them healthy, keeps the lower back integrity, 
um, prevents a lot of other issues that most people have from being in terrible postures. We're sitting all day. We're on our smartphones. Um, you know, we're, we're in, you know, flexion in adduction. We need to be in more abduction, external rotation moments. So these are things that we work on very much with pulling people out of that posture. So we could go down the, really go down the chain. So if we're talking about, you know, uh, hamstrings, glute complex, we can move up to the upper back complex. If we're in flexion, we need more upper back work. We need to pull people into more of an externally rotated moment. So lots of, lots of, lots of upper back work, lots of band work, because you know what? Band work is easy to do in a group setting. It doesn't take any coaching, zero skill required. We can do a couple hundred banded face pull-aparts, not easily. It's going to burn, but we can do a couple hundred of them in a short period of time and, and uh, really have a profound effect on other areas of people's lives like going overhead, which, you know, is a, that's another whole topic in and of itself. But what does it come down to? People don't have the positions before we're asking them to be in the positions. So they, they really haven't earned the right to go overhead. Um, and how are people going overhead? Well, they're going overhead because they're compensating. They're, they're having all these compensatory movement patterns, you know, going into spinal extension to get weight overhead, to get their head through and create a full lockout. Um, so it's not an authentic movement pattern. So for us, we really want to work on authentic movement patterns. And for most, that's going to exist in a different plane of motion. We do a lot of landmine presses, yep. um, which you know allows the scapula to move freely through range of motion. There's better scapula humor rhythm with that. Um, so you know, a lot of this stuff comes down to just biomechanics. I mean, understanding how the body moves and just the functional anatomy of it. And, you know, if you're just putting your clients overhead for the sake of going overhead, not knowing why, then like you said before, there's going to be a breakdown in the chain. And if we're creating movement, creating range of motion um, by contorting the body, then eventually there is going to be some type of overuse injury. And with overhead stuff, it is done way too much in CrossFit. I think a lot of coaches don't realize that, Overhead doesn't necessarily have to be overhead. Like an overhead squat is overhead, okay? But even though it's not an overhead press, it's still an overhead movement. A wall ball doesn't say anything about going overhead in the name of the movement, but it's an overhead movement, you know? So a lot of these movements of kipping pull-up, hey, we're, well, we're vertically pulling, but it, you're still going overhead. You're still, essentially the biomechanics are flipped on its head. So I think when people write programming for CrossFit gyms, they put these movements down and they don't make the connection that they're essentially working the same plane of motion, working the same joints, and then they wonder where this overuse injury comes from. And it comes from doing the repeated movement patterns on a daily basis and not making the connection with just the functional anatomy of it. Yeah, yeah. And the, I'm glad you talked about the landmine because we, we use and abuse our landmine mm. in our facility. We, we teach kids how to press overhead either with that or we use like a half kneeling option or a half kneeling like cable press to an incline so to speak so that they're not actually you know they're not cranking through extension like sure. you said through their thoracic spine to, to to compensate for that and even whenever um we we use the fms screen i'm not like gung-ho on it but it gives me a starting point at least to get an idea of how they move and so when i when i do their screening that gives me an idea of how much overhead work we can or can't do at least from a programming standpoint. because some kids walking with amazing shoulder mobility and, and thoracic mobility because they're just really good athletes and then i'm like okay you know we can press overhead a little bit safely and, and be okay and then, then you get your personal training client that 
<laughs> I'm a, I'm a good example. I can't press overhead anymore. I mean, I don't have pain, but there's so much comp- compensatory movements to make it mm. efficient that it's not efficient anymore. And as a power lifter, I don't need to press overhead. I need to, right. I need to press lay on a bench. So um, we, we try to use only that part of the FMS to get an idea of where we can start our, our programming standpoint so that we can get close to an overhead press. Like the landmine is generally our go-to for probably 95% plus of our clientele. Um, just cause like you said, it, the scapular rhythm part is just also fantastic. It's huge. And, and I don't think, I don't think enough people think about that aspect of pressing enough. Everyone thinks, oh, bench press, floor press, um, you know, that, that those are well, great exercises. You've got your scapula pinned down and then you're yes. pressing that way. And for the average person, that's not necessarily what they need because like you said, they're, they're so, they're so hunched forward and they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. just sitting there in that nasty cathodic posture that they need to, they need to open up a little bit. And that, that scapular rhythm helps them do that. So with the, yeah. you, you kind of talked on some other exercises there, the, um, you know, the kipping pull up and, and stuff like that. How, um, how do you go about, obviously you can't program that all the time when you're doing that. How are you going about um, using some of those CrossFit based movements? Cause some of these exercises came essentially from CrossFit, you know, the kipping pull up was not a prescribed exercise. Whenever I started getting into this 15 years ago or so, no. how, how do you, how do you go about bridging that gap with your average people? Are you just doing standard pull-ups and chin-ups? Are you using the lat pull-down machine? Um, are you using different row variations to, mm-hmm. you know, um, get a similar training effect, but obviously like the training a little bit different plane. We, we do, we do more strict and we do more horizontal rowing than we do vertical. And, you know, it's a, it's a tricky one because people that go to CrossFit gyms expect to see kipping pull-ups and a lot of them come to rely on it. It's a kipping pull-up is really a different training effect. You have a, a really a bigger demand on cardiorespiratory than you do local musculature. I mean, there's definitely some, there's definitely some pretty big demand on local musculature with that type of movement. Um, but it does tend to be more metabolically demanding once people are proficient. So it's really used in a different setting. Now, if I had my way, and I feel like I might have my way in the near future, especially now with everything that's happened, I wouldn't program kipping pull-ups at all for general population ever. And I would leave that more as a option for people that want to compete in CrossFit. So, you know, if the workout's got pull-ups in it, more likely it would be a strict pull-up. Um, and, you know, there'd be an extra option for someone that has hopes of competing in CrossFit. And they're already proficient with that and can do it with you know, a legitimate amount of volume and safely. So we, we do spend just a lot of time developing strength outside of just a conditioning session. So we do a lot of that work with, you know, working a a ton of different row variations, whether it be, um, you know, just traditional one arm dumbbell row or chest supported row variation or some type of band variation. We do put a lot of that in there on a weekly basis. So, um, I've kind of figured it out where I'm going to expose people, even if they, if they come on a really random schedule to the gym, we kind of front load how we do everything with conjugate. So instead of being in, in a, you know, like a a typical model now, and the way I train is, you know, max effort, lower Monday, max effort, upper Wednesday, dynamic uh, Friday, dynamic Saturday, something like that. 
Um, we have plenty of recovery built in, but I kind of put that into Monday through Friday. So essentially, you're going to be exposed to strength work regardless of your schedule. Um, and that's really where people need the most work. They need more strength training than they need more strength training over conditioning because they just don't have the requisite level of strength to be, you know, to gain lean mass, to feel good, you know, all the things that, that they want to do. And a lot of people already have decent aerobic capacity. You have a lot of people coming from an endurance background. So we still do a ton of aerobic work, but you know, strength definitely is at the base of that pyramid for us where we spend the most time doing that stuff. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, cause I, I, I wanted to really talk to you a lot about the strength aspect mm -hmm. of it. Um, because whenever I, I don't talk to a ton of CrossFit athletes, just like I don't have any in my facility, but every now and then I get people that will drop in that do CrossFit because we have platforms and Olympic bumpers and bars and we've got rigs I and mean, we basically have everything that a CrossFit gym has, sure. but we're laid out like a performance facility where, you know, we've also got the, the racks from elite FES and the monolift and the inverse curl and reverse hypers and, and, and you know, the, the thing that's going to help performance. So we've got, and we've also got a lot of space. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that's very appealing to some CrossFit people when they are choosing to travel, they may actually stop into us with one we're cheaper. You know, we don't have to charge $25 drop in fee. We've only got yep. a $10 drop in fee. And then two, they can do everything they want and not have to wait for a specific time slot class. They can say, mm -hmm. Hey, well, I can just go to, thirst at three 30 and go and get my workout done and be done in 45, 50 minutes and get out of there and go carry on with my traveling that I've got going on. What, what have you So talk about the, the strength aspect of it? Because I try to, when I talk to CrossFit people, I tell them, I say, if, if you, if you legitimately want to do CrossFit competitively, I, I think if you go look at the top end, those guys and girls are incredibly strong. They sure they're, they are incredibly shape, incredible shape too but you don't think enough about how long it takes to build strength for how long it takes to build an aerobic capacity. I can build an aerobic capacity if I want to go out and run three miles probably in four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And, but I can't front squat 315 or 405 yep. in six to eight weeks. It, it, it might take the average person three to four years to be able to build up to that kind of strength. But if you want to get competitive level and do these, um, these Olympic lifts and some, especially now I've noticed from CrossFit, you know, they'll have like the Olympic ladders where they've got to go through certain weights sure. and the heaviest they can get, so to speak, or deadlift and, and, and what have you. That if you're just, if you only deadlift 275 and the other guys are pulling in the fours and five hundreds, guess who's going to rep out the 225 yeah. deadlift the most? <laughs> if you're only deadlifting 275, then you're probably not competing in CrossFit. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, a lot of people are just not, they're doing it wrong. I mean, they follow these linear models and they do these squat cycles on top of their other training. So a lot of it is just like layering training programs and no one's realizing that there's a cost of doing that. Your linear has its, its challenges on its own. So now when you layer other programs with it, it's got even more challenges and there's going to be some interplay between multiple programs. And again, this is another reason why all CrossFitters should be doing conjugate. There's, there's really no better way to train. And actually conjugate is a better model of concurrent training than CrossFit is either way you split it. And I've got tons of data to back this up with literally thousands of people over the years. Um, we see more gains training conjugate in the CrossFit space. So I'm telling you that people get better at CrossFit 
from not doing CrossFit. They get better at it from following a traditional conjugate model like you guys run. I know you guys do conditioning regularly. I mean, if you took a local CrossFitter in your area, you said, hey, come train with me for 12 weeks. We're not going to do any CrossFit and you're going to go back to CrossFit and you'd be better. I would bet money on it that they would go back and they would be better. Um, I've seen it happen, you know, too many times at this point. So why does that happen? Well, there's, there's a number of reasons why. Number one, conjugate isn't just about powerlifting, getting better at the big three. It's about building work capacity. You can't, you can't get stronger if you don't have any capacity. You don't have a base of fitness. So sled, sled pulls are one of the greatest aerobic methods. No one really equates it. They just say, oh, I want to get stronger. I'll pull the sled. Um, and I would, I would even say, you know, a lot of powerlifting coaches that have their clients um, uh, pull sleds, they might not, you know, build the value in the aerobic side of it because the, the aerobic as a word is probably not, I don't know how it's, how it's viewed in the, in the powerlifting world right now. I, I feel like, oh, you know, people that have conjugate as, you know, they have uh, some education with conjugate are very well versed in the conditioning side of things. Um, and I know, I know you are, and I know you guys do lots of great conditioning. Um, but the sled is just an unbelievable tool. If you're in a, a competing in CrossFit and you're not pulling a sled on a weekly basis, then you're missing out. I mean, there's, there's so much that can be done in terms of improving your aerobic system, facilitating recovery, building strength. Um, there's no axial loading. So we're, you know, we're kind of deloading and we're not putting, um, a lot of stress on our joints. So, you know, that's an incredible tool. If you want to add work capacity, but you don't want to overtrain, that would be probably at the top of the list for us. Um, so, you know, that is trying to train all of these different modalities and get stronger. The only way you can really do that effectively is by having some type of plan. You can't just do it randomly where you're doing a 5k run and then a max deadlift. There's got to be some semblance of planning with that. So you can one, get the most from it and two, not overtrain. Um, but three, I think this is probably the biggest thing with conjugate is being able to auto-regulate. You're not going to feel like doing 90% for four doubles some days. You, you might be, you know, you might be really not in a great place in terms of trainability goes. So being able to auto-regulate and maybe build to a heavy single, heavy double for the day based on that given day is something that you can't do with linear. You're kind of really set to these really arbitrary guidelines, um, of, of trying to stay within some type of cycle. So I think if you're trying to train multiple systems, this is the way to do it. And then you add that structure to it. And then we're making sure that we're building a recovery and we're always in an optimal situation to, to get the most from it rather than be, you know, in a place where we could be potentially really down in terms of, um, the nervous system is concerned and, and putting people in a position where they will invariably overtrain. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the GPP side of things that you just talked about is, is by far, I think they, they, they understand it's a, a little bit, you know, they understand they've got to be in good shape, but I think they're too worried that they've got to be at peak aerobic shape year round, where if you can maintain a good amount of it with your GPP, then when you go to do your actual strength training, you can actually back off your aerobic work a little bit, because if you're too aerobically inclined, like you talked about, if you go around a 5k and then a max deadlift, you know, you're, you're competing systems for one thing of what you're, you can't push both of them to the throttle at the same time. Sure. You have to push one another based upon what you're going to do, which part of 
CrossFit as a whole as being a very well-rounded athlete. But if you can bring that base up, then you can train your strength 90% plus of the year so that if you do know that if you have to go, you, know, you choose to run a 5K, you pull back on your – you just try to hold your strength as steady as you can while you increase mm-hmm. your mileage but you back down on your accessory work volume, which I kind of want to talk to you about too. So there's some give and take. And I think that the average crossover I'm talking about is full go full throttle year round. And they're not, like you said, they don't have a plan, so to speak. It's whatever's up on the, the Wattify coach board or whatever's up on the CrossFit um, website for the day. And, and I ask most of the CrossFitters that I get people asking me sometimes, how do I improve? my bench press for CrossFit or my, my back squat. And I'm like, well, how often are you squatting? Well, we might, you know, do heavy squats every month, once a month or what. I'm like, you, you can't expect to get stronger if you're not yeah. training any kind of strength. You can't do your thrusters and expect your front squat to improve. It actually sure. needs to be the other way around. You need to improve your front squat to improve the ability of your thruster because you're not only in that position, but if you front squat, you know, 135 or three, that's what all you got. Imagine what yeah. happens if you front squat 200 for five and then you go to do your thrusters. Imagine how much easy that 95 or 135 pound thruster is, is going to be. Exactly. Yeah. We, you know, we, we, um, it's fuck. It's kind of funny. We started working with individuals this past December, which great timing for it. I, you know, didn't know then that we were going to have a pandemic where we were going to be working with, you know, working with people that train in their gyms or training at home rather. Um, and, and really the advantage of that has been, you know, me being able to, again, connect with the clients individually and send the right message to them. So I know that they're receiving what they're supposed to receive and they understand that there's a purpose to everything we do. Um, and, and that's just it, you know, working with a lot of these people that are individuals that are already training too much and then bringing them back down to, a place where we have an actual system and there's no randomness to it um, is, you know, the, the gains that people get from using more conjugate style versus more classic CrossFit. It's night and day. And I have, I have a girl I've been working with for a while individually who um, she, I mean, she crushes everyone. She competes lo- lo- locally and she's like kind of, she's not far off of like making, you know, to the next level, which now is kind of changed in terms of the format with CrossFit. But, um, you know, she clean and jerks 240 pounds. This is a female. Um, you know, she squats, you know, in the mid threes, deadlifts over four. Um, and she's a CrossFitter. She's not a power lifter. You know, she'd go compete in powerlifting too. But she always says she's like, strength is king. Um, I go in these competitions and, you know, that she had to do a 20 RM front squat in a competition not that long ago before the pandemic. So a 20 RM, which is, you know, I think to me and you, that's pretty crazy. I'm not doing any 20 no, RMs no, no. Uh, because, you know, there's a number of reasons why I'm not doing any 20 RMs, but you know, really, is she going to be better at a 20 RM for, for training, like specificity of doing 20 rep sets She actually better having a bigger one RM. So she crushed everyone in that because her one RM front squats, 275 and the next closest front squat to her uh, you know, is, is two Oh five. So she's got 70 pounds on the next strongest girl. So of course she's going to blow everyone away in that. Yeah. But a lot of those people, a lot of those CrossFitters are training high rep squats, which, um, you know, it's, it's, a, people don't understand the difference, you know, special strengths. They don't understand that there's a difference between being one RM strong and five RM strong or 20 RM strong. 
you know, yeah. very, very different systems there. So uh, you bring the one RM up, everything else follows, but the, the inverse isn't true. If my five RM goes up, my one RM might not go anywhere. It might go down actually. So those are, you know, those are things that where you're really trying to counter that mindset of more is more. Hey, why well, do I want to do a one RM? One RM feels like no volume. It's not enough volume. It's not enough volume. Everyone says that about kanji, not enough volume. Well, we get our volume from the special exercises. Yeah. We don't get it from the squats. That's a, that's a tiny part of what we do, you know? Yeah, so um, that kind of talk, I want to talk to you about the max effort and dynamic effort and, and how you mm -hmm. use that in, in your programming and with that kind of population. Um, first, let's kind of talk about the, the, the general population, so to speak, so the non-competitive CrossFitter. I think that's one thing that we kind of, probably need to make sure that we kind of preface a little bit is that I, I do agree that if you are a competitive CrossFitter, your training needs to have, like we got to talk about earlier, needs to have a little bit more of the specificity side, a little bit to where you, you've got to know how to do your kipping pull-ups and you've got sure. to know how to do your, your wall balls in terms of technique relatively well. Like there, there's certain aspects that you, that's part of CrossFit, unfortunately, is that mm -hmm. those exercises are going to be in there whether you like them or hate them. Um, that's just part of the sport. And that's the same thing with powerlifting. I hate freaking deadlifting, but that's part of the sport and I have to do it if that's what I right. want to do to put together a total. So I've got to get better at it. Um, for, so from the, but the general population person, it's completely different. You can take, like we said, you can take your rhyme and reason behind your CrossFit to change your exercise selection. So from the, the max effort and dynamic effort aspect, so to speak, how are you doing that with the general population person versus the competitive person? Are you using more bands and chains with your, your competitive people versus your average person? Are you controlling different barbells, boxes, or are you just using different exercises in general? Yeah, I probably should have told you prior to getting on this that I also work with individuals now. So it's like the group setting, which we kind of touched on is obviously very different than an individual setting. Um, so, you know, as a whole, I, I do things very similar across the board, whether your general fitness or you're a CrossFitter or you're in a group setting and you're work going to one of the gyms I work with. Um, at the end of the day, you know, using accommodating resistance as a tool and a lot of people don't have the ability to really get down to the details of how much they're using. So for instance, if you're doing a, uh, a speed pull and you're using the goal is to use 25% of your max in band tension, but a lot of people are just draping the band over the bar because they don't have a platform or a rack. Um, so that's where tension kind of goes out the window a little bit in terms of getting it precise. But we use it for the benefit of decreasing the amount of load they're having to work with. So I would rather use accommodating resistance for a max effort deadlift than use straight weight because it's less load through range of motion. They're getting a full resistance at the top, but less wear and tear. So that's a great one for general fitness because, you know, people want to pull max deadlifts and if you let them, they would do it all the time. Um, but if I'm going to let someone pull a max, I like to do it with accommodating resistance just because there is a lot less chance. People are less sore. Um, they get a similar training effect and they get the, still the same gains in strength, but they don't get as much mileage on the body from just doing a straight weight max effort deadlift, true one RM deadlift. Um, so, you know, we, we do a really, again, really similar. We do dynamic effort work in a group setting. It's really polarizing because you have so many different people with different muscle fiber types. So you have these endurance people that 
if you give them 50% of their one around with no accommodating resistance, they still move very slow. Uh, and I know you're, you're one that uses 40%, 40, 45, and 50. And most people use, you know, 50, 55, and 60. Yep. Um, and, I, you know, I would say the tough part, I would probably agree with you that in a general setting, general population setting, 40, 45, and 50 would be better for most people. They would, they would get more from it. But the hard part of that is the psychology. Yeah. Using 40%, people think, is I'm not getting enough of a training effect. I am not going to get better if I'm only using such light weights. So it all comes back to really the same thing. The psychology of convincing people more is not more. You know, lifting heavy every day isn't going to be, you know, the best course of action. Um, you know, doing some easier workouts, doing some workouts that aren't as sexy. These are all of the struggles. They're not, it's not necessarily about like, the perfect paradigm of training. It's about just convincing people that it's a more about quality. It's more about having a plan and, you know, getting good at basic foundational movement patterns, squat, push, pull, carry lunge, things like that, that yep. people really need to master before they're doing an overhead press, you know? Yeah. Um, that the, the, the low percentage, point is is something that I probably have the hardest time with the kids that I work with. Um, I, I make them earn the right to be able to kind of do dynamic effort work in, in the sense that we're kind of talking about, you know, we obviously do jumps and throws and, and things yeah. like that. But um, when we actually start getting into, you know, some, some speed, speed squats off a box or some speed pulls, so to speak. And, you know, I, because I don't know their actual one rep max and I don't like to try to base it off of that, especially with a lot of these kids that I work with, with how fast they're growing and, and, you know, also their, their lives, you know, they got to have a bad day with the girlfriend and then their training's out completely out the window. Sure. So writing that percentage kind of sucks. I usually give them, you know, RPE caps of like what it should feel like in, in terms of weight. And they're like, well, why is the RPE cap at like six, six and a half? And I said, because it's, it's not about how much weight you move. It's how much, weight you can move fast right if it does not look speedy and poppy and i can't hear the weights click when you stand up with the squat or if i can't hear the same thing with the bench when you're pushing off your chest if you can't make those weight clicks you're either not putting enough force you're not trying hard enough or the weight is too heavy and we're not getting the training effect that we want it's not a, I, I talked with somebody earlier on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and he said i think people are too caught up in the fact of exercises exercise we need to do this exercise we need to do this exercise where if you chase a training effect, the exercise pool that you have options doesn't really matter. You know, you, like you said, lunge, it's a single leg exercise. We don't have to lunge. We can split squat or Bulgarian right. split squat, or we can do step ups or, you know, reverse lunges or curtsy lunges. Like you're after the same overall training effect that you're wanting a single leg stance exercise for joint, low back health, you know, what have you. And so that's why I try to convince the kids, so to speak, is that if you move the weights fast, the power will come. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have the heavy training in there too. Absolutely. In those days, I want you to do the heavy training, get the most weight on the bar that you can with good technical proficiency. And that's the training adaptation that we're after for that particular day or time of the training season, you know, what, what have you. So um, I, I think probably in the CrossFit space, that's probably a hard thing to convey with the average person that does not um, necessarily have the athletic endeavors that, you know, a lot of my population has, cause it's kind of hard to understand how does a, how does a bench press at 40% versus double yeah. mini bands aid my strength level? And that's where we have to talk about the dynamic effort. So to, right. so to speak of things. 
Yeah, that's and that is the tough part. And that's why, you know, even in a group setting for my gyms, we do more sub maximal work. And we do we repeat the same movements for, you know, two, three weeks at a time, even the same assistance exercises. We don't do one exercise and then not see it again for 12 weeks. Because people in a group setting, I found they just need to be exposed to the basic movements more. We don't need a different variation every time they step foot in the gym. They need to front squat for three weeks. They need a sumo deadlift for three weeks. They need to floor press for three weeks or whatever we're doing for variation. So we do, we do have less variation too in that, in that sense, in the strength side of things, we do less variation. Now my individuals, we do dynamic effort work the same way, you know, probably you and I do, you know, every three weeks, a three week wave. Um, I actually don't prescribe percentages kind of like what you mentioned. I tell people to go light. Um, and a reference would be, oh, wait, you can move fast 50 to 60% of your one RM. It should be, like you said, it should be speedy. If it's slow, you're missing the boat. Um, so it, again, it's still tough to convey that message. And I have actual demo videos of me doing dynamic effort bench. And hey, guys, this is what it should look like. It shouldn't be grinding. It should be boom, boom, boom. You know, three three reps as fast as possible with no hesitation. And if you can't do that, you've gone too heavy. You're missing the boat on what we're trying to accomplish today. Um, and that tends to work. But a group setting, we, again, I try to even simplify it more than that, where for years we did dynamic, we did actual dynamic effort, you know, doing box squats, doing speed pulls. Um, and it's just so hard to convey that message across a hundred member gym that we're doing 50% of your one RM for, for eight triples. Um, it's very tough. So I'd rather just do, you know, six sets to build to a moderate five of a front squat. Um, the focus is on quality and speed and it shouldn't be a max five. It should be a moderate five. Right. Um, and that tends to work a lot better where people just get exposure to the basic squat pattern and they get to re, you know, refine their motor patterns. Yeah. Um, and then, so now that we've kind of talked about the, the max effort and the dynamic effort, let's talk about the, the rep effort side of things. I, I believe I can, I want to say it was one article you wrote. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but I definitely know that you're big on direct arm work for the average, um, clientele that you, that you work with that's in a CrossFit gym. Talk a little bit about the accessory work side of things. Um, you know, we talked about people are obviously like rounded over and it sort of speaks. We're focusing on that posterior chain. We kind of talked about that, but what, um, what kind of exercises with the, the you know, the, the reasoning behind the arms, go ahead and talk about that. And then what you're doing, you know, for, for hamstrings and et cetera, from the accessory side, because I think if, if I had to look at, other than the max effort side of stuff, when I look at kind of CrossFit programming as a whole or, or giant group training, usually the accessory stuff, it doesn't even exist. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's usually non-existent. There's not even a, a, a section on the, the coach board that says accessory work and lists these, you know, basic foundational movements. It's usually the, the, the main strength exercise they're doing. And then you've got, you know, like some kind of like chipper or conditioning based stuff. And then there's usually like some random extra finisher or what have mm -hmm. you. So kind of talk about the accessory side of stuff in, in your space. Yeah. So uh, we do a, a lot of that. Um, and we do, we'll do pure repetition effort days. You know, our, our, instead of doing a dynamic effort upper, we might do just more straight hypertrophy work. And the general population needs that, you know, does, does 
Joe Schmo need doing speed bench for nine triples? I mean, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt him. I mean, a lot of people do need some work with some fast twitch style work like that, but I find that people benefit more from just straight bodybuilding hypertrophy work with single joint exercises. So a lot of direct arm work, a lot of uh, direct triceps work, a lot of upper back work. I mean, we go, we, you know, we, we've, we've got literally a thousand videos on our YouTube channel. Um, how many we use at this point in time, probably, you know, around a hundred, hundred variations um, for, you know, our assistance work, but that stuff is a mainstay. It, it doesn't just happen once in a while. And then usually there will be some type of finisher, some high volume band work, which is easy to do. It's like I said, it's quick. It, it does the job of, you know, people get a hypertrophy adaptation from it. They also get the soft tissue improvements. Um, it helps kind of bulletproof them against any future injuries. So that stuff is something we do all the time. It's not just, it's not just because we felt like a one day we do set days for that work. So people can Again, what's the goal? If the goal is to look and feel better, okay, then there's a no-brainer. If the goal is to get better at CrossFit, it's still a no-brainer because, like you said before, you're only as strong as your weakest link. If you're only doing a floor press to bring up your floor press, then you're missing the boat. There are reasons why your floor press is stuck or your bench press is stuck. And usually, for people, it's lats and triceps. Uh, so again, we're right back to kind of where we started. Um, you know, Developing the backside of the body really is is what we're working on more times than not. Um, now we do direct biceps work as well as work for the quadriceps as well. But um, I think really the main thing is worrying less about what variation there's, there's tons of great variations. I mean, the variation is, is really going to be relative to the person anyways, but making sure that it's a priority and not just don't just put it on the board and say like, okay, guys, if you have time after do this, you have to put it in the class. So we put that stuff in the actual schedule so they're forced to do it. And I might even sneak that stuff into a conditioning. I you know, say that with air quotes. I will put hypertrophy work in a conditioning workout and make it for time. And again, it's just tricking people. Like It's like, hey, we're, we're doing assistance work, but there's a time component to it. Um, so they feel like they're getting more of a burn or they're getting more from it. Because again, it all comes full circle back to the psychology. And that's the toughest thing with group. Now, my individuals it's easy. They, they're they getting it right from the horse's mouth. They know that I do this stuff. It's easy. They see me training this way. Um, they know that the value's there. They get the pump and all the good things that translate from that in, in terms of improving their performance. So it's a lot easier in that setting. But in CrossFit gyms, yeah, I think it's getting more popular. And I think, you know, the more and more, you know, people like us put out content and build value in it and tell them why and explain it down to the actual science people are starting to be able to convey that message to their clients. Yeah. I, we, we do that as well. We usually use like the, the band work and so to speak as like kind of the conditioning slash finisher in our personal training programs. Cause I think people, people, what, what I tell like in our interns especially is that people remember two main things about their workouts, the beginning and the end, the stuff in the middle is usually is usually where I like to put the, the important stuff, so to speak, you know, that that's the stuff that I want to get. I want to get the single leg work and the rowing and the, the, um, any of the accessory of the, the pressing work or some of the abdominal stuff with, you know, awkward loads and stuff like that stuff that doesn't 
look sexy, but it, it works. But at the beginning, they want to feel like they did something good. So, you know, they've got their big compound movement. They get a goblet squat heavy and they get a, you know, maybe bench press heavy or, or what have you. They kind of remember that. And then at the end, they also want to think, they want to feel quote unquote destroyed. Well, I'm going to make you sweat a little bit, but you're not going to get destroyed by doing a hundred pull aparts, a hundred face pulls, a hundred press downs, and then pushing the sled down and back to 50 yard turf. Yeah. You know, like we got your heart rate up and we got you sweating hard. And guess what? We brought the toes of your chain, we got the upper back work, we got the tricep work, we got yep. your arms kind of blown up when you leave. And they, they feel good about that. And then they're like, man, that workout was awesome. Well, guess what? I just got you to do what I wanted you to do with the heavily goblet squats and the lunges and mm-hmm. the, you know, the push ups and like that's that's what I was after. Yeah, but you right. feel the psychology aspect of it at the, the tail end, so to speak. And we're and I also tell some of the people that train powerlifting wise at my gym that I end every training session I do, doesn't matter which one it is, you know, max effort, dynamic effort, upper or lower, doesn't matter. I always pick at least one exercise where I have to get a hundred total reps before I leave the gym. But that's press downs, reverse hypers, you know, back extensions, um, RDLs, pull throughs, something that's going to blow up a specific muscle group that I feel needs to, to come up and get yep. the extra work. And it, it, it doesn't require a lot of time. If you just put your headphones in or, you know, in my gym, I crank the music, yep. you know, put my phone away and just focus on and get it done as fast as I can. You can only have a good workout, but you got that training density, which I think a lot of people undervalue when it, mm-hmm. when it comes to training is training density get a train density build up that weak muscle group and, and you're out and over time if you continue to do that next thing you know your lifts are moving and all it is is just it's just good quality work right and that's overlooked a lot yeah that's and we do the, the same thing you know 100 reps i mean band work is is uh invaluable um and again you know if you're if you're delivering it to someone afar like i am we want to have less chance of it getting lost in translation. So no one's going to lose translation on doing a banded pushdown. I, that's just impossible. Right. Yeah. But if it was something more complex, like a SOTS press or uh, some type of Olympic lifting variation that gets tricky, you know, you do, or you're doing some type of gymnastics uh, movement, that stuff gets lost in translation very easy. So I like to remove the chance of that and ensure that we're going to get from the movement what we intended to. And then that has the ability to create more synergy with our program. We know the effect of it and there's a lot less variability um, in terms of how it's delivered to that person. So it's a no brainer to me. All right. So the, um, I've got to talk to you a little bit about the competitive CrossFitter here a little bit. Um, so let's say, for the the competitive crossfitter that would happen to be listening or somebody that's interested in making that jump to the competitive side of things. And they're, they're in a CrossFit gym that does the standard CrossFit stuff. You know, they got the the workout of the day. That's almost completely randomized. There's no structure or training um, behind it. What would you recommend for them? You know, are are you going to try to see if they can, um, you know, take some kind of method like this and implement it in their current box for just them. Do you recommend they, they find an entirely different box? They just avoid a CrossFit gym in general and just go to a, you know, a gym like mine where they can do their own thing and focus on their own performance and get help. How do you recommend someone go about that? Because I do think there are some CrossFitters that know it may not be the best, but they kind of feel like, like you said, the psychology thing, how do I get out of this and get to a superior training method to, mm-hmm. to give me what I want? 
Well, good news is there's a lot of options these days, especially with online. Um, so you can get, you know, top notch programming online from a qualified coach. The, the tricky part is I think, like you said, I think going to a gym like yours would be, I would recommend that because a typical CrossFit box is not going to have a lat pull down. They're not going to have a reverse, you know, some of them have reverse hypers, um, but a lot of the specialty stuff that you have, most CrossFit gyms are not going to have. So the people I work with, competitive CrossFitters I work with, train in places like yours. I don't know too many of them. You know, a few of them do train at boxes, but for the most part, you know, I had one girl that that um, came to me and she was looking for a place to train because the box that she was at wouldn't let her use my program. Um, so. I kind of found her a place like yours. She's in Texas. So she's now training at a place just like yours. It's not a CrossFit gym. It's a strength conditioning facility. It's got everything she needs to train and more. So, you know, sled work for our competitors is a mainstay. We do it every single week on in one, you know, it might be done one way and it, it'll be done for recovery. It might be done for strength or aerobic capacity, whatever the case may be, that's going to be in there on a weekly basis. Um, so having the ability to do that stuff is key. So I would recommend they find a place that aligns with what they're looking for. If they're ready to train conjugate, you can, you can do that just about at any CrossFit box, but it really comes down to the fact, are they okay with you training there on your own and not following their programming? You know, that really depends, I guess, on the gym. So I see more and more people, even before, uh, you know, coronavirus hit training from home building garage gyms. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that I've, I've noticed this last year is that more and more people are starting to just say like, you know what, I want to train a certain way. I'm going to build my own garage gym. I know for me personally, it's why I, I started training in a garage back in 2007. You, I mean, you were training in a garage, yep. same time frame, right? Yep. Yep. So I think there's a lot to be said about people investing and in getting their own equipment, which you don't need to get a whole lot to do a lot. Um, again, really the only specialty piece in my individual programming is, is pulling a sled for CrossFit competitors. So they don't need a reverse hyper. They don't need, um, you know, a, a glued ham raise. It'd be, those are things that are like kind of nice to have. They have them, we'll utilize them. If they don't, you know, there's plenty of things that we can do with just a landmine with just some dumbbells, some kettlebells, um, and a, and a squat rack that has the ability to use pins. You know, we do a lot of Anderson variations, you know, the Zercher squats, Anderson front squat, back squat, you know, rack deadlifts. So, um, you don't need a lot, you don't need a lot of specialty equipment. You don't need $10,000 worth to, to train at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so kind of talk about where you think CrossFit is going to go. Um, cause I know that there are some changes. I'm not the most well-versed in that, in that space by any means, I'm not even close. Um, but I know that they are making, you know, changes for to the format and kind of the, the way things are going. Where do you predict to see that going and how that um, may or may not um, either improve or decline the, the average CrossFitter? You know, it's funny. It's changed so much. I don't really know anymore. Um, I see, I see a lot of people and this is just, you know, from, you know, from the sidelines, I'm seeing people that are, have been losing faith in what CrossFit HQ is doing. Um, they're not really getting the support they need in terms of 
running their business. And there are other places that help with that. Um, other companies that you can, that you can work with from a business side of things. But I, I see, I've seen a lot of people losing faith in just kind of what CrossFit HQ is doing. They've made a lot of changes. They've fired a lot of people. Um, but I don't know really more than that. I, I do think that if we want to have clients for life, we have to align the programming to their goals. And we can't, if your programming is based around the nine essential CrossFit movements and doing, you know, gymnastic cycles and putting people in really disadvantageous positions, you're not going to have clients for life because it's not sustainable. Doing a hundred kipping pull-ups a week is not sustainable. You're talking the elite of the elite. People like Rich Froning are an outlier. He is not the norm. People cannot sustain that level of volume for the rest of their lives. So if you're thinking about your future with this, it should be align the programming to the basic goals of looking better, feeling better, getting stronger. Um, and, and, you know, that is what is going to allow people to still have the novelty of the fun CrossFit stuff and do it safely. Right. Right. And that, that, uh, is the, I think I want to say this, the, the underlying kind of circle back towards the beginning. That's the underlying thing that I think I try to communicate to people when they ask me my thoughts on it. I think I've kind of, I almost feel like I've gotten a reputation that I hate CrossFit. And I, I guess it's not that I hate CrossFit. Me, me it's too. I, it, it's, that, <laughs> it's that I hate the way they go about the training. Like, I, I think what it's done for the industry is incredible. I mean, the, the equipment companies, the way gyms are facilitated, the home mm -hmm. gym environment, the fact that people actually don't find a barbell that intimidating anymore. Um, like, that's all huge positive benefits of, of what CrossFit has done. However you're taking very, very bad exercise selections that you're trying to take from a competitive standpoint, which, okay, that's part of your sport. Same thing with powerlifting. Like not everybody needs to bench press with a straight bar, but in the sport of powerlifting, you have to, that is part of the sport. So you, you need to adapt a model, so to speak, that is for the average person. And let's be honest, probably 80 to 90, maybe even more percent of the revenue that's coming through a CrossFit gym is for the average person, not the competitive, 100%. not the competitive athlete. No so one, no one's running their gym on, on competitive athletes. No one is. Yeah. So that's, you know? I mean, that's the, the same thing with my gym is that there's not a lot of powerlifters in my area. If I was a powerlifter only gym, my gym would have been shut down three yeah, months right. into business. But because I focus on athletes and average clientele and teach them how to train and, and, you know, have a different kind of model of business, it's been successful and sustainable because it's not, that's what has to pay the bills. Right. And it's not that I'm not passionate about it. I absolutely am passionate about it, but I'm adapting it to what the, the needs are. And I think CrossFit might want to get with that kind of program, so to speak. You know, the programs need to look more like what you're doing versus I mean, let's be honest, if CrossFit had the right answers, you wouldn't have a job, you know, the, there'd right. be no reason to hire Jason Brown and box programming to do the programming if the programming was already superior. You know, well, you know, what's funny is we, even in the last, since I started doing this, I was one of the first people to start doing this. And now there's a lot of people in the space. We've lost a lot of people over the last year to other models like, um, that are just programming classic CrossFit and it's not sustainable and people will, I've already had people come back that had left initially because their clients think that they know what they need and the coaches aren't confident enough to 
really portray to the clients that, Hey, this isn't a sustainable way of training. You can't do this much volume on these small joints in your body and not expect to, you know, not get injured. So that's, that's kind of how it's come full circle. Again, I think a sustainable model is more along the lines of what you're doing right now. And you know what, I would agree with you too. I, I think the methodology of CrossFit, the, what it's done for the community, I wouldn't have a job without it. Number one. And I love a lot about CrossFit. I just think that it's great for people to train bilateral movements, but I feel like they should earn those movements a little bit more. You should earn the right to go overhead. You should earn the right to do a kipping pull-up. If you can't do a strict pull-up, you should not be doing a kipping pull-up. I want to, I've yelled that to people like do not do kipping pull-ups until you can do a strict pull-up. All right. Because it's setting yourself up. It's setting your clients up for failure. It's setting them up for some nasty injury. That's going to basically put them in a position where they have to cancel their membership and lose trust in you. So we can really utilize all the great things, but put some semblance to reason to it, put some exercises that align with people's abilities that get them closer to their goals. All of those things that we're looking for. And you know, the results speak for itself. People will get better at CrossFit just by virtue of doing things that makes them stronger, that makes them more enduring. So it's not, it's really not rocket science, but I think at the end of the day, you know, you even said what, what's going to pay your bills. I wrote an article about is called assistance work pays the bills. If you don't do assistance work in your gym, then you're going to lose members at one point or another. There's a, there's only a small window of time that they can train if you only do bilateral movements in high skill gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, the injury part is, I'm glad you brought that up because the last thing I really wanted to talk to you about was the, the, not necessarily the injuries, but the injury prevention, the, the mobility side, I know CrossFit has kind of, um, I mean, mobility wad kind of comes to mind like the, mm-hmm. the mobility aspect of crossfit kind of just like took off for a while everyone's like you know if you're not flossing this and you're not smashing that and you're not doing all these mobilization stuff you know you're never going to get into fix stuff and while i think there's certain things that have their their place absolutely everybody has their problem areas from a mobility standpoint just like they do from the from a strength and conditioning standpoint but i do think that some people get overzealous with it um you know you can't do a 25 30 minute warm-up especially in a crossfit setting like it's just people aren't paying for for that for one but two like it's just not realistic that's stuff you need to do at home on your own time um from from a region standpoint so talk about how you build that into your programs and avoid those kind of um the injuries so to speak by using some of the stuff that you use well, you know, we include a lot of that stuff in our warm up, um, a lot of correctives. And it's tricky because for our individuals, we do six phase dynamic warm up. All of our individuals do. They love it. It's got six strategic phases to it from, um, you know, soft tissue work, doing some foam rolling, doing a, doing a biphasic stretch, doing a corrective, an activation drill, a foundational movement pattern prep, and then CNS work to get ready for the training. We do that type of format um, for all of our individuals. For our group, it's tricky because the best route to go with them is just doing a 10-minute dynamic warm-up. We're getting some movement, some lunging, some skipping. Um, you know, might have some CNS component to it. Maybe we throw in some activation drill for the glutes. You know, so we we try to just keep it a little bit more simple. I tried to put 
use a six phase warm up in group setting, it's very hard. Um, it's a, it's very easy to get lost in translation when you start putting in things that should be able to be done quickly. These warm ups take 10 minutes or less. I don't spend any more than 10 minutes on a warm up. Um, but with, you know, 15 people in a group setting, it's like herding cattle. Sometimes you're like, yeah, yeah. okay, get your foam rollers. All right, we'll get your bands. And then, you know, you just have all these other elements to it that add more time. So we try to keep it a little bit more simple with just more dynamic movement, movement, some basic activation drills, um, and stuff that's going to prepare for the training ahead in terms of mobility. You know, the thing is with mobility, it's, that's another polarizing topic. It's like foam rolling. We know from, I mean, people for years were smashing and doing all this foam rolling because they thought they were breaking down scar tissue. Well, guess what? Fascia is seven inches deep and you're not breaking it down unless you're doing manual tool therapy seven days a week. You're not breaking down any adhesions with a freaking piece of foam. It's, it's impossible to do. So, but we do know that it does have some benefits in terms of reducing tonicity of, of uh, musculature. So, you know, we use, we use more of the resisted resistance for mobility, doing more wide stance box squats, doing more better position, pressing landmine pressing. Um, and that's how we gain better range of motion. We don't gain it from doing an hour of static stretching a day. Um, it's just not a long-term solution in terms of gaining better position. So the strength training component, again, we're kind of coming back full circle. It's about really the strength training, building that strength, those levels of strength to not only improve motor patterns, but to put people into better position with when they do get to the point, they can do a kipping pull up or dead hang strict pull up. They're going to be in much better position. Their scapula is going to move more freely now. All of those things that were kind of bound up before can be really improved with the strength side of things. So it really is, I mean, it really is a fix all in terms of improving posture in terms, in terms of, you know, improving body composition as well as their performance. Yeah. Yeah. We, whenever we screen this as people, you know, it, they might show they've got tight hamstrings, which as I'm sure, you know, a lot of times that's usually hip flexor tied in. Um, the way because they're stuck in the anterior pelvic tilt, which is a you know false positive, so to speak, or there's yep. some of these, you know, they're they're kyphotic, and it's like maybe you're not, you know, just fixing the musculature and getting it stronger and you know pulling everything back to where it should be because the the weak muscles are are elongated and they're not able to help you support you in that position, and then you know as you train and move through that and get through spaces and that builds up over time, that posture and that mobility and the range of motion comes back because you're training in those ranges of motion so to speak. So that's, that's kind of what we try to tell people too. Our, our warm ups the same way. It takes, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes, maybe mm -hmm. if it takes 10, it, we might have an off kind of thing where, you know, someone's presented with a really bad hip shift. So we've got some extra PRI stuff we're doing to align rib cage and pelvis a little bit more to, to get them out of that. But you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the rare circumstance, you know, the average person's doing that. Like I said, they're, they're, they're two minutes of foam rolling on their, their tight areas. They need to work on, they get yeah. moving, they activate, they, they get sweat. We get some CNS aspect because we do some, like I said, sprints and, and, and skips and stuff like that. And then we, we jump into our, our main exercise and we're pretty much good to go. And that's, you know, that's just, that it's, it's that simple. I think, you know, any, any CrossFit coach look at a basic exercise physiology book and look at the ramp warm up. I mean, that's what it is. Raise, activate, mobilize, potentiate, and we're good to go. I mean, you don't need to be spending all day. I mean, I think the correctives thing, 
I, that's definitely more from the strength and conditioning side of things where you see people doing like 45 minutes of correctives yeah. prior to training. And then they're like, Oh shit, I didn't train. I only did correctives, <laughs> yeah. you know, get to training. That's where we want people to be. Um, I think just the context is so key because if you are working with the group, there is just so many moving parts to that where you almost have to remove that's where a ramp, you know, where there's only four components versus, you know, using like the John Rustin six phase warm up yep. that we use. I love it. And my individuals love it. We, we do it every day. Um, but it's very hard to translate that into a group setting where you have multiple people and you're trying to coach them and, Hey, we're only, you know, doing these micro movements with a foam roller and now we got to go get a band. So it's just a lot of moving parts. So we try to just kind of condense it as much as we can and, and, and still make it fun. All right. That's great. So I think we kind of went uh, full circle. We kind of talked about this, the conjugate method with the max effort, dynamic effort, rep effort method. Um, we talked about the mobilization, the, the mobilization standpoint, the health, um, you know, the, what the positives and negatives of, of, you know, the CrossFit programming as a whole. I think we did a good job on touching all that. Is there um, anything that you want to add that you think we might've like glazed over really quick or, or that maybe we didn't even get to um, because I, I definitely know that, uh, your expertise is really good and, and people I think need to take some of this to heart, especially if they're in the CrossFit space. And, and, and like you said, it, it's kind of like politics, getting somebody to kind of change colors yeah. or, or, or change parties is not, is not easy. And some people you aren't going to change and some people you know, have to be convinced and presented with, with science, but you have the, the background and the results and the, the data from what you've been able to do. So is there anything that, you know, you want to add from, your, your experience with all that. Yeah. So I, you know, for me, it always comes back to science and I think there are, there are three things and one we've already really touched on a lot, but the other two things, um, you know, building the aerobic system is something that people don't spend enough time doing. And we live in such a stressful world. People are stressed out with their jobs. People are really stressed out now with all of the uncertainty that we have going on, uh, in our lives. So, you know, spending time to do easy cardio, easy cardio, certain adaptations that take place in the heart, they don't take place when you're doing high intensity work, you know, cardiac output, um, you know, improving the ability to pump blood to the extremities that happens with low intensity work. So remember, you know, people do want to get a good workout. I get it. They want to feel the burn, but we also need to tell them why it's okay to not feel the burn. Sometimes it's okay to go easy and do, you know, some easy long distance work, whether it be, you know, you row for 10 minutes, you bike for 10 minutes, you pull a sled for 10 minutes and it's conversational pace. That stuff has a huge value. We've got a ton of content on that too, on the aerobic system, which I think is a, is a very underutilized training method. Um, even for powerlifters, it's, it's going to decrease your resting heart rate. It's the only training modality that will make you live longer. There's nothing else that will make you live longer. So that I think would, you know, I put really right there was strength because strength's going to improve the quality of your life, but aerobic work will extend the length of your life. So those two definitely side by side. And then the other thing is that people are aging. They're losing type two fibers. Their metabolisms are decreasing. How can we improve type two fibers or at least maintain them? We can't necessarily, there's not a whole lot of room to, make someone that is very slow twitch, fast twitch, but we can, we can at least maintain what they have. And the way we do that is with plyometrics. Um, you know, so best way to 
in, improve explosive strength is with plyometrics, a series of jumps. You don't have to do a ton. A little bit goes a long way. So that's something we do quite a bit. That's easy to teach. You know, um, it's easy to teach someone how to do a seated dynamic vertical jump or, or a seated box jump. Um, and it's a good way to teach people how to land. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think that's another way people are focusing on the Olympic lifts to improve force production, but plyometrics are actually a better way of doing that. And again, this is going back, you know, go back to the, to the basic, uh, exercise physiology book. You can read it anywhere. Um, I didn't make this stuff up. Uh, I wish I did, yeah, yeah. but, but you know, so getting people stronger with small exercises, building, you know, building, building the, the really the moving primary movers of, of a movement. If you want to get better at squat, build the primary movers, um, build the aerobic system and work on what we know. We know people are getting older, posture is getting worse or losing type two fibers. We can improve all of that. It's just an amazing role that us coaches have that we can literally change someone's life. I mean, I don't know how we're not essential services. I just don't yeah. get it, but this is stuff that is just life changing. So if you know that stuff and you've done your homework, you can really have a profound effect on the people you're working with. It sounds like, you know, you guys are definitely doing that. Um, that's why I would say like, Hey, if you're a competitive crosser, you want to get better. I would, you know, I would send them to your gym if they're in your area. Um, there's just too much that, that you guys know that if you only have a CrossFit L1, start educating yourself because there's a whole world out there. Right, right. Well, I, I appreciate that. And the, to kind of piggyback off your aerobic system and your, and your power development to kind of add to that, I definitely know that whenever I was at my strongest, so when I hit my 567 squat, um, I was starting that summer. So I, I, this might have been 20 weeks out. I started doing a lot more walking. Um, I was still personal training people, um, mm -hmm. not at my, I didn't have a gym at the time. So, uh, in between my clients, depending upon what day, you know, I would set aside 15, 20 minutes and all I would do is just incline walk, you know, semi briskly, make sure my heart rate stayed in, you know, the, the lower side of things. And I would just, mm -hmm. you know, read a book or whatever. And I started doing that, you know, initially three, four days a week, really easy. And then eventually as I got adapted to it, got used to it, I cranked the incline a little more and, and let my body adapt to it. And the next thing you know, I'm doing it five, six days a week. And I remember when I hit my, when I hit my world record squat, I was walking five to six days a week. I was strength training six days a week. Um, you know, I had my regular max effort dynamic effort. And then I had basically a, a fluff lower body day and a, and a fluff upper body day, you know, what we would call that you're like your special exercise day or, yep. or your GPP day. So I had those where, um, and that squat cycle is actually on elite FTS. I put it on there and so many people were like, dude, this is unrealistic. And I'm like, actually, guess what? If you walk five to six, seven days a week and you're resting heart rate, like I saw that 46, my resting heart rate on average, I kept all the data that too, wow. was up was 46 in the morning. Every time I wake up, I, I took my HRV, my heart rate variability was almost green every single day. Yeah. So like, like that's kind of, that's an all in kind of perspective. What, you know, what's what it takes to do that, I guess. But, that's amazing. But when you think about it, like how much aerobic work I had, that's what was able to let me train those six days a week and recover from, you know, not only the loads and the volume, but it was just, it's what made it sustainable. So like, yeah, you wouldn't want to just take that and just, and, and throw it in your back pocket. Hey, I'm going to the gym and doing right. at least world record squat cycle. Do not recommend that whatsoever. Um, that's, that's obviously years of training behind it. And then to lay that out to get that. And then you also talked about the power thing that when, we don't really do a whole lot of Olympic lifting at my gym and it's not that I don't like it. Um, I, I do like it. I know how to coach it and I feel very confident when I coach it. Um, but you know, I have to ask 
as, from a business perspective, we have to look at return on investment too. You know, I have parents making commitments in these big, you know, they're making an investment in their child. I have to get results. If I don't get results, I'm not going to have the clients to work with and I'm not going to make them better athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only have so much finite time and I can't take the time to teach them a hang clean or, you know, a, a snatch high pull. And, and while I think they have merit and good exercises, I have to think about my time. And the right. only time that we really get into the, the clean, so to speak, is if I get a high school football player where I know he's going to clean in high school, they, they're, they're going to do it. Whether I don't mm-hmm. think they should, but they're going to. So I got to try to do my due diligence to teach him how to do it right the best I can with the time that I have. So that when he goes in the weight room and does it in season or off season or whatever you have you, he's doing it right. And then the other one is that if I get a junior senior that makes a commitment to a university level, I reach out to their strength coach. Hey, are you an Olympic program? Are you going to be teaching the hang clean, power clean, you know, snatch? Because if so, I'm going to start putting them in my training program so I can work on the athlete on getting them right. So when they come to you, you don't have to teach that. You just give them the piece of paper and start coaching them up and start exactly, it up yeah. and get the benefit out of it because that's when the competitiveness is going to be more. And, and part of my job is not only help them get that scholarship, but when they get to that scholarship, be able to benefit more from it from day one. I want you to walk right. in that room. And from a weight training perspective, I want coach to say, hey, look at so-and-so. She or he knows how to do this right really well. And, you know, that, that gives you the ability to benefit from the strength and conditioning training as an athlete, the most you can during your four or five years at the NCAA level, where you don't want to go into that level with no mm-hmm. weight room experience and, and you got to spend the first year just learning how to lift. It's not necessarily a waste, but, you know, you could have gotten more from your time, so to speak. So I'm glad you brought that plyometric. Yeah, that's, did you have read an article about the, the walking that you were doing? I mean, I think that's a fantastic article because I think a lot of people would just assume, and even people I know, you know, would assume that doing aerobic work is going to make them slower, weaker, smaller, all of the things that they're trying not to do. Um, and I think that's an important point, the way you were doing it and the, you know, the heart rate, um, the, you know, how, how you were keeping your heart in a specific range that information is definitely very useful to, especially people that are, you know, really just trying to get stronger um, without sacrificing any of their gains, but also improving their work capacity. Yeah. I mean, resting heart rate for 46 for a power lifter. I mean, that's, I, that's unheard of. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember what I was doing at the time. Um, for some reason I had, I might've had my blood drawn or something. I don't know, but they, they took my resting heart rate and, you know, it, during the middle of the day, it's up a little bit and it, but it was like 49 or something like that, just sit in the doctor's office. And she's like, Oh my gosh, are, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, your rest, your heart rate is so low. And I was like, I was like, I'm just in really good shape. You know, I'm <laughs> usually sub 10% body fat year round, but yeah. yeah. Um, and so that, that helps too, but you know, I also eat healthy and, and try to get as much sleep as I can. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I just, I was like, I walk every day and I lift and I said, I'm a competitive lifter. And I was like, I, just, I don't only really value my health, but I value my performance. So you know, it's something I take care of. And she's like, well, this is, definitely the record low I've ever seen of anybody that's walked into my doctor's office. That's, that's so, so funny. Yeah, I'll have to look that up and probably send that over to Sheena and write an article on, on that. I think that'd be a fantastic article because especially coming from your perspective, um, you know, people do need to start thinking about that stuff, but I think that, you know, making the connection between the aerobic and the anaerobic systems, it, you know, people don't make that connection. They think they're just separate. And even for years, we always knew that, Oh, if you run or you do aerobic work, you're going to get slower. You're going to, you're going to get weaker. And we know that that's, I mean, if you're running five K's every day, you're, yeah, you kind of get weaker, but if you do it right, I do aerobic work. I'm actually, I'm going to do aerobic work as soon as we get off this call. Um, say is, you know, recovery day for me and you can still keep 
getting stronger and gain muscle if you do it correctly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's, it's kind of that the, the two ends of the continuum, people think about separating them. I say, I think you actually need to think about that's how you train them separately. You know, when you want to, um, I'm a big Charlie Francis high low system guy, you know, if you got your high CNS day, like that needs to be a high CNS day, lift heavy, sprint hard, you know, get your nervous system all jolted up on one day. Don't try to do a max effort lower day and sprint the next bad idea, mm-hmm. you know, and then use that low heart rate day to, to be able to recover and regen and watch how those blend together to help you. But like you said, if you're running that 5k distance, that's to me, I call that no man's land. There's not really a lot of benefit in that, that specific area of training for almost any kind of sport or athletic endeavor. I mean, I understand there's some 800, 1600 times. That's kind of what you have to run in track and field, but you're yeah. not necessarily running 800s and 1600s to train. You right. know, you're doing your, your fartlicks and your, your sprints or you're, you're controlling your tempos on the low end side of things. And then you, you work on the adaptations of the, like you said, the, of the heart to build up that aerobic capacity to do that. You're not going to be, running that all the time and that that's a hard thing for us to sell to kind of parents too because they think we got to run their kids to death and i'm like i'm not gonna run your kids to death at all we'll do some sprint work because we need to do some sprint work but i'm not gonna do sprint work to make them throw up and and try to condition them you know if i'm gonna condition you we're getting on the rower or the echo bike or whatever and i'm gonna say here's your work here's your rest if your heart rate ever gets if you feel like your heart rate's gonna explode or you know if we even monitor it and it gets too high then we're done you're not recovering from what we're doing. We need to stop and get what we need to think why we're using the bike or the rower or whatever it is we're using. And that's all, that's all we do. And we crank it up over time with their, their intervals and how long they're doing it. And, you know, we've had really good success as of right now with the whole COVID thing, you know, we're starting to get kids back in and, you know, they're going six, eight, nine weeks without having any training right now. We are actually doing quite a bit of conditioning stuff and in sessions with five, 10, 15 minute minute bike rides in the gym just to, you know, get that aerobic capacity back up and get them ready because I've, I've already kind of told parents, your coaches are going to try to kill your kids mm-hmm. and that's the wrong approach. They're not going to listen to what I have to say, unfortunately, but the parents will, the coaches won't. And, you know, that's really unfortunate because that this coming year, whenever sports return back, I, I believe will be one of the highest injury rate seasons we will see in probably the past 20 years. If I had to take a guess. Yeah, because you're probably they're right. Fo- they're not going to focus on that GPP thing. And mm-hmm. and, and that's what I'm going to do with my kids. Is because, well, I'm going to do my best I can to say, you have success. I hope you go into practice and you kill everybody. Yeah. I hope sure. that they try to run, make you run gassers and you're like, come on, coach. I was preparing for this. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the only other concern that I have from a business standpoint right now is how my kids are going to get treated when they go back to practice July 1. Oh, that's, I mean, that's good. You, I mean, that's what coaches should be doing. They should be caring about caring for their clients. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, uh, you've got anything else you want to tag on to this? No, I, I think that's it. I, I would recommend it, you know, go get online. If you're a coach listening to this, you know, start reading. There's tons of good resources. I mean, elite FTS has got a million, million plus articles. Yep. Um, I know personally I've, I've written over 500 articles in the last five years. Um, you, you know, like I said, like programming is always evolving. Articles are always evolving too. So there's a lot of good stuff, um, you know, over the last, I would say even more so the last 12 months. So check that stuff out and just educate yourself, get yourself in the know so you can build value in why you're doing specific modalities and why you're choosing not to do other modalities. Right. Um, and just to kind of end things off, let people know where, 
um, they can find you or get a hold of you um, in case if they are looking to, you know, outsource their programming or talk, you know, even from an individual standpoint, like you said, you're definitely doing individual stuff now. How yeah. they can get a hold of you and benefit from your services. Yeah, you can go to boxprogramming.com. We actually we're we're in the process of changing our name to BP training systems. Uh, more so along the lines because we our box programming is an actual service where we provide programming to CrossFit affiliates. Um, but we've branched out this year to individuals. So BP training systems is going to kind of like be the house of, of both box programming, our individual programming services. Um, and you know, basically everything going to be under one roof. So boxprogramming.com, you can, there's tons of good stuff on there. Articles, you can, uh, you can email us, you can check out the services we do have and, uh, you know, check out our content. It's free. So it's there yeah. for you. Yeah. I know. I, I read the stuff that you put up and, um, we actually have a new batch of interns starting in the next couple of weeks. And, um, I'm in the process of putting in like online coaches and resources that I think are good. And you're, you're on that list. Rusin's on that list. Um, elite FTS is obviously on that list. Eric yeah. Cressy, you know, like I just think those are a lot of undervalued resources. And like you said, the stuff's free and it's out there. It's exactly. just like, you just gotta, you just gotta read and it doesn't take that long. And it's usually very quickly implementable into whatever you're doing. You'll quickly understand how you can immediately say, yep, I can figure out how I can do this. So, right. Well, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the uh, the shout out. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, I appreciate your time, dude. We had a lot of good information. I'm looking forward to going through the show notes and putting all this stuff together for, for myself as well. Um, I'll let you know when we get this posted and everything and um, hope you guys are doing well and take care. And um, if you ever need anything or want to chat, just let me know, man. I'm always up for it. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I, I appreciate it again. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, same to you. All right. Thanks, Jason. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period t-h-i-r-s-t or you can give me a follow at b smitley that's b-s-m-i-t-l-e-y for more updates on future episodes come i'm your host brandon smitley and we'll catch you at the next episode